It's unfortunate that in our churches today, we'll sing a song like that, asking God to be our everything, but then we'll model a practice, we'll engage one another in such a way that we don't act like He is our everything, nor do we desire Him to be our everything. I don't want you to hear me speaking bad of the church. It is the bride of Christ. He died for her. There's great value in the church. But an honest assessment, an honest assessment, not just of ourselves, but the church at large, especially in North America, tells us that we're not seeking to fill our lives with God or the things of God. But there's a huge lack of vision for the community of the saints centered around God and his gospel. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because we are pandering this incomplete gospel to the nations. It's unfortunate because our people, people in a city like Springfield, full of churches, people are gathered all over the city this morning, and they are allowed to go and feel as if I've done my duty, I can go back to my life, I have six more days till I need church again, but I'll come back and get my fill next Sunday morning. Maybe you know people that have chosen their church not because they're connected to the people of God, not because they're connected to the message of God, not because they are accessing the Father through the truth of Jesus Christ, but maybe you know people who've chosen a church a church family more because of the style of music, because of the polish and the, and the, and the glimmer and the shine. Maybe, maybe you know people who appreciate uh, the church and their church family because of the number of programs that they offer. Maybe you know people who have chosen their church family because they're able to walk in and disappear and there's no accountability, no connection. It's unfortunate. We live in a day and age where the beautiful bride of Christ, the, the, the people that he died for, are being led and being allowed to think and, and act in this way. I, I can't tell you the number of parents that I've had conversations with. I can't tell you the number of people I've had conversations with that recognize there is something missing in their church. The Bible's not really taught. It's more moralistic ideals. More, more uh, making them feel good about who they are, the pleasantries, but the, but the depths and the truths of the Bible aren't taught. And their kids couldn't tell you what they learn when they go to their classes. But because they have polish and pizzazz, I know it's not a word that's used. I don't know what else to, to say. Because they, because they have numbers and an appearance of success, people continue to choose that church. Now, I, I don't want you to hear me saying that we're better than big churches because we're small. I don't think that's true. In fact, there's a number of things that we need to work on in our church. We are a broken group of people. Many of, the way, many of the reasons we're still small are not because God hasn't given us opportunity to grow, but because we're afraid to reach out. 
I mean, it's just the honest truth. But the reality is, is that this is one thing we have figured out. You don't come to be a member of this church and, and think that you're going to disappear in the masses, right? It's not going to happen. You don't come to this church and join this church and think that you are not going to be accepted and loved in the community of God's people. If you're a member of this church and aren't in community and experiencing community, it's not because we're not trying. It doesn't mean that's going to be easy. Living in community requires effort. But the truth is, and as we've read in this passage, the truth is that the work that, that require or the, the, the work that, that was necessary to make community possible, to make the church come to life, the work that was necessary to build his people, to, to engage his bride, Jesus did it on the cross. Because of the gospel, we are. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ has no conception, has no understanding of a people who are loosely connected, who spend one hour, maybe an hour and a half, if the preacher decides to go long, it, it, uh, that time a week given to the community, the gospel, God's gracious rebellion, has no concept for individualized Christianity. It has no concept for this individualistic, consumer-minded church body. Jesus did not die to save you alone. He died to save you with His church. You see these, these quaint little sayings, these trite little sayings about, if you were the only one, Jesus would have died for you. There's no mention of that in the Bible. I, I, probably it's true. But he didn't, he didn't die to save one person, did he? He did die to save individuals, but he died to save individuals to be his people. Because of the gospel, we are. But yet, we live in a culture that exists because of programs in which size defines success. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond? I think we've got to, I, I think we've got to take this to heart. Because of the gospel, we I'm going to say that over and over. I hope you go home and dream about because of the gospel we are. I, I, I'm serious. Because this, this passage teaches that. Now, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you that if you're a member of this church, I hope that's not the first time you're hearing that. I hope that that sounds familiar. It's a very distinct part of our vision and mission of this church. I didn't come up with that on my own. Ephesians chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, the whole, whole book of Acts, for that matter, where the gospel was preached, the people of God sprung forth. Not an individual, not a lone ranger, not someone that could depend on themselves, but a person dependent on the gospel 
and dependent upon the people of God around them. All the way through. All the way through. And that's exactly what this passage teaches us. But we're going to break that statement down into two pieces, because of the gospel, and then we are. But because of the gospel, we're going to start there because that's really the most important piece, right? <clears throat> We've been studying this letter to the Ephesians for several weeks. And we've seen it over and over. I hope that you've caught on to this. I know it's come up in our community group studies, at least in my community group. The verbs that are used are not verbs. They're not our doing. Every bit of work that we've studied so far to date in this letter is work done by God in Christ. In Christ, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. That's chapter 1. In Christ... We are chosen. We are, uh, we are redeemed. We are, uh, we are forgiven. We, we have received God's blessing. We are adopted in Christ. In Christ, He is working out His plan. His plan, not ours. He's working out His plan for the fullness of time to unite all things where? In Christ. In Christ, He directed His incomparable, great, power for our benefit in christ he raised us from life to death in christ he seated us at his right hand in christ we are his workmanship we are his masterpiece his poema as we studied last week we're we're his his work of art in christ we have been given a work to do and the thing is, is that this passage is no different. It doesn't all of a sudden flip the switch and take on a different tone. This teaching of the church, this, this, this perspective, this, this new people, this new humanity that God is building is built in Christ. And we're going to look at the verses, and I'm going I'm I'm to show this to you. As I study, you may, you may find more, you may be a, a whiz with grammar, I, you know, I'm... I'm just lucky that I can see anything in the Scripture. But the reality is, is that I found ten things, ten actions, ten verbs accounted to Jesus Christ. And you know how many I found accounted to us? None. We're beneficiaries, passive recipients. But ten times, this short passage tells us of the work that Jesus Christ did to save us, to bring us into His body. Verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been what? Brought near. In Christ Jesus, you were brought near. How did you get there? By the blood of Christ Jesus. The church exists. God's people exist. The, they, not because they have obeyed. Not because they have figured out the, the best way. Not because they deserved it. Not because they owned it. Not because they, they, they did something. But by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. We're going we're gonna to memorialize this. We're going to remember it at the end of the service. Every week we do this. Every week we come to this moment. We are here because of the gospel. We have reason to, to maintain this because of the gospel. We have reason to pursue it because of the gospel. We have been brought near to God by His Son's shed blood. Number one, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. 14 and 15, they, they just flow one right after the other. He himself is. It's a state of being. Jesus is our peace. 
He has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I, I, that, that, that right there, that phrase right there, it struck me even as I was reading. I not, not even realized it until this moment as I was reading this morning. Just, just now. That, that whole idea of hostility, there's violence in sin between us. But there's violence between us and God as well. Our sin results in a violent relationship with God. We are His enemy. Our sin results in violent relationship. Oh, we're, we're civilized. We know how to cover it up. We know how to brush it under the rug. But when you sin against someone, that's a violent action. Well, I, I just took their pen. I was just 15 minutes late. I didn't even mean to do anything bad. Every sin you commit against another person is a is a is the reality. It's it's the reality that you believe you're better or more important than that other person, and you're treating them violently. I'm I'm just late. Oh, is your time more important than mine? I just stole their pen. Did you deserve that pen more than me? It's only five dollars. They'll never miss it. Did you earn that? It's an act of violence. And, and don't think that, that a, a small sin like that isn't violence towards God because every act of, of, of unholiness demonstrates your des- that you deserve His wrath, that you are opposed to His will, that you'd rather go your own way. But those walls that have been built by our sin, Jesus tore them down. And how does He do it? He abolished the law of the commandments. Now, specifically, Paul is referring to the, Jew, the Jewish law, the, the Mosaic law. He, he's talking about the, the Ten Commandments and all the commandments that went, you know, in the, in the first five books the, uh, of, of law that the Jews held to. And then they, they didn't just hold to those laws, but they built a bunch of laws so that they didn't get close to breaking those laws. And they, that, that, that's what they de- deemed was making them holy and righteous. And specifically, he's talking about it, but the principle is still there. The principle is there for every one of us. We're not just being brought into the Jewish people. We're being brought in together into one people and being interlocked and interwoven into the bride of Christ. And now the law, the commandments, Jesus has set those aside. See, he, He not only cleanses us, not only do we get to stand in God's presence, but He unites all of His people from all time undoing all of the violence that we've done towards one another. And don't think that the small ones are the only ways we mistreat one another. Our history is full of violence and sinful action towards one another. Horrific, horrendous actions and and perspectives and thoughts of one another. Because in our minds, we build our own law. We build our own ideas about what's right and wrong, about what a holy person, a righteous person should do or shouldn't do. We, we, we build our perspectives more off of culture than God's Word. We build our ideas more off of our selfish perspectives more than we do God's Word. But yet, even those things in which we are building off of some other thing other than God's Word, we still hold them close 
and I'm a good parent because I do this. I can't believe that parent does that. Well, I didn't let my child watch television until he was 15 years old. You let yours watch it at five? Is that a law that you just made? Are you better? Are you more holy? Are you more righteous? Well, you know, when I go to work, I read my Bible in front of all my co-workers. Yours don't even realize you're a Christian? Are you now more holy, more righteous, more deserving? Is that not a law you just built, that you just created? Jesus tore that down. He abolished the law and commandments. He leveled the playing field. No one of you, none of you, neither I nor anyone else that sits in the church this morning claiming our position in Christ deserve this. It's by grace. You are saved by grace. None of us earned this place. None of us are righteous because we did this. None of us are more righteous because we figured it out or because of what we do. We are righteous by His grace. Commandments are gone. Don't mistake that to think that now you can do whatever you want to do. Chapter 4 is coming. Don't take this out of context. But listen, He did this that He might create. He's creating. He's doing this work. He's making us His people. He's bringing what wasn't in existence into existence. Before Christ, outside of Christ, we were dead. We'll see that in a second. We'll, we'll look at that verse again. Outside of Christ, we were separated. We were far. We were, we were not just separated from Him. We were separated from one another. We were individuals. Independent always trying to do our own thing. In Christ, He created us in Himself. He brought into existence what wasn't there before. Verse 16, 17, and 18, we get the last of them, that He might re reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility on the cross, that hostility that we worked out towards one another, that we worked out towards God, that hostility hangs there. It's done. It's dead. He killed it. He came and he preached peace. Peace with God. Peace with man. For through him, we both have access to the Father. You see, the this, this, this all tells us, this, this all brings into to one, I'm just going to summarize it up in one statement. We are reconciled to God and one another because of the gospel. In Christ, because of the gospel, we are. Because of the gospel. Capital. Like I'm shouting it like I'm texting in trying to emphasize, we are. Now, let's, we're going we're gonna to deal with that. The, the second part of this is that we are. Our, our culture, even, even the way we do church, it, it, it panders to this perspective. It, it sells out to this perspective that we've got to meet the consumer where they are and what they want and give them everything that they desire. 
And so we have churches that go out and we well, what don't you like about church? What, you, what don't you, I love, I love Jesus, but I hate his people. There's a problem there. There's something wrong. Well, you know what? Let's, let's do something about that. And so they begin to program their churches in such a way that they meet these people. And, and, and all in all, I'm not saying that's a terrible thing. We need to meet the lost world where they are. We need to. It's, it's absolutely necessary. They're dead. You get it? They, they need to be met in death. We need to show up where they are. We need to show them what they can't see. We need to be light into their darkness. We need to do that. But that shouldn't be what defines our whole church. It shouldn't define all of who we are. But that's what we do. Just as long as we can pack them in the doors. Get them in. In so many cases, that's, that's as far as people go. The emphasis on the we because of the gospel, we, we are. Let me just show you, let me show you something. See, what, what we were before was a bunch of me's. But now because of the gospel, we are. Let me show you this in scripture. Specifically, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to go back down into verses 11 and 12. In the first three verses of Ephesians 2, Jesus tells us, or, or Paul tells us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. We, we dealt with that. I shouted at you. I made you feel bad. I hope you felt better by the end because I told you you've been made alive. But you were dead. I mean, that's pretty serious. I don't make my face all crunch up and, and make you feel bad again. You know, you were dead. Okay, you didn't respond to anything spiritually alive. You didn't know what spiritual life was all about. You were dead. As dead as a person could be physically, you were dead spiritually. In which, or I'm sorry, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Here's what he's saying. You were dead. You were enslaved. You were in bondage to the world. You were in bondage to to the, the prince of the power of the air, that's, that's the enemy. That's Satan and all the demons. That's the, that's the dark force, the dark spiritual power that's out there. You were in bondage to that. But ultimately, ultimately, you were in bondage to yourself. You were led by the passions of your flesh, living for the desire of your body. You weren't, you, you weren't really thinking of other people. Outside of Christ, you weren't really thinking of other people. You were striving to make yourself look good. Outside of Christ, you were incapable to do anything spiritually good. Because underneath it all, down in the depths of who you are, you were motivated by a selfish desire. To exalt yourself, to defend yourself, to make yourself look good, to find approval, to, to maintain control, to, to make yourself feel comfortable and at ease. Whatever it was, there's some idol that, that, that you were building, some God of your own creation that you were serving, and underneath that idol is you. Then he comes down in very similar fashion. He starts this second passage in this chapter, and he says, Therefore, remember... That at one time you, or, or at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh, or made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from 
Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Again, I, I, I don't know if you caught it, but that's no better than being called dead. There's no hope. You don't receive promise. You're not a recipient of his promises. You're not getting anything good from God. You're a child of wrath still. That doesn't sound any better, right? Well, what did, you put these two passages together, and what you find is you have a nation of people that's a bunch of me's. Let me just illustrate this for you. What's, what's one of the, 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 the most popular traits in people today? Especially when a man's looking at a woman. I hear it all the time. Well, she's independent. We raise our children to be independent. Do you know you were never created to be independent? You were never created to exist on your own, in your own power, by yourself, without the need of others. Now, there's a, you can go too far and you can become codependent. But you were never meant to be on your own. You were never meant to be a me. God created you to be a we. He created us to be a people. And in Christ, He is bringing this all back together. And you see it spelled out through the rest of this passage, 11 through 19. He says, because of the gospel, we are brought close. We were far off. We were distant. We were, we were in another land. We were in another place altogether. But by, by, by the work of God in His gracious rebellion, we are brought close. Because of the gospel, we're given hope. <clears throat> Remember, we've talked about this already. Hope is not just this wishful thought. I hope I get a raise when it comes time. I hope my team wins in the Super Bowl. Well, what's the World Series going on now, right? Am I, am I missing something? Is it over? I haven't heard anybody talk about it this morning. I was running a little behind, though. I hope, I hope the Cardinals win. Do we have any guarantee that's going to happen? That's a wish, right? There's no, there's no expectation there. It's just, I, I really hope it happens. That's the way we use the word hope all the time. That's how we perceive it. But that's not what the word means in the Scripture. See, because of the gospel, we are given a confident expectation of what's to come. Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, He rose from the grave. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And He has promised that not only has He gone to, to go to the Father, but He is preparing a place for us and He will come again and get us. That's the confident expectation we have. It's a check you can take to the bank every day and it won't bounce. It's as certain as checkmate. It's, it's as if it's already happened. We are given hope, real, true, living hope. Because of the gospel, it tells us that we are receiving God's promise. No longer are we distant. It says that we were distant, that we were, that we were not um, recipients of the promise. We weren't receiving the covenants and the promises. It says we had no hope, but in Christ. All of those things that we weren't have become a reality. And now we are recipients of the promise. 
All of the promises of God are applied to His people. How many of you keep your promises? 90% of the time I come through. How about you? 100% of the time, God will never fail. Jesus will not let you down. His promises will be fulfilled. And because of the gospel, all of those heavenly blessings that we talked about in chapter 1, all of his incomparable power, all that he said he's going to do, he will do. Because of the gospel, you are now receiving his promise. Because of the gospel, it tells us that we're not better than others. I told you, the, 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 the playing field is leveled. Here's what's happening. And at least this is what some theologians believe was happening and the, and the reason that Paul wrote this. The Jewish Christians were having trouble accepting the um, Gentile Christians. And there's, there's talk, you can look in Acts, and there was councils that were held. How do we, how do we teach these new Gentiles that, that didn't have the law, who aren't circumcised, who don't live like we do, they don't smell like we do, we, they don't act like we do, they don't even think like we do. Those people are weird. They don't belong. And so here are these, here are these Jewish Christians are. They're like, I'm, I'm a Christian squared. You're just a Christian. I'm to the second power. I, I, I had the law and now I got Jesus. No, 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 no. And when you meet a Jewish today, if, if, if I'm Jewish, if you, I'm sorry. <laughs> got a little excited. Mouth got away from me. When, when, when you meet someone today, a, a, a Jewish person that has become a Christian, do you not automatically think, oh, you're special? You know what? They're no more special than you. By grace. And, and I'm going to tell you, the Jews didn't make it by the law. Go back and read their history a little bit. They had all the promises. They had all the prophets. They had all the teachers. And Paul wept for them and longed for them to come to know the truth of Jesus Christ and even said he'd be willing to give up his own salvation that they would come to know. And they missed their Messiah. If they're getting in, it's by grace, just like you and me. See, the, the, level, the, the playing field is level. But the, the reality is, again, this is, not, this is not the only reason Paul wrote this. The principle is still established. There's not a person in this room that's more superior or more worthy or more honored than another. Oh, but we do that with staff, church staff, preachers, pastors, church leaders, don't we? I'm not saying don't respect them. I'm not saying don't, don't uh, honor their position and the authority that Christ has given them in His church. But don't miss this. Don't put them on a pedestal that they don't belong on. They're not more worthy of Christ than you are. They're not more significant in His kingdom than you are. You and I together are equal before the Lord. We are standing in His grace. You see, I don't deserve this any more than anybody else in this room. I'd love to tell you I did, because then it would make me look good. And I like to look good in front of people. But I'm broken. And if you spent any time with me about 15 years ago, you'd know just how broken I was. There's actually a guy in the room that has. Sorry for that. Thank God that's not where I'm at today. 
Because of the gospel, we are not better than others. Because of the gospel, it teaches us that we are given access to the Father. And hear this, we, 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 we are given access to the Father. The, the veil is torn. There's no person that walks and has a special ear to God or a special microphone that reaches his ear better. We are given access. We have this. Because of the, because of the gospel, we can stand in the throne room. Because of the gospel, we can approach the throne boldly. We can make our requests known. We can pray and expect God to answer. We can stand in His, in His, in His throne room looking for His mercy, standing in His grace. Because of the gospel, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Because of the gospel, we not me, not you, we together, together belong to the kingdom. Here's the deal. People sitting around you that are in Christ, the people that you work with that are in Christ, the people that you, that you um, don't get along with so well in Christ, you're going to get to spend eternity with them. We are going to be his people. Better get used to it. What better time to practice than right now? Resting in His grace, walking together towards His kingdom as a part of His kingdom. Now some of you who are sitting in this room need to hear this and need to apply it. Let me give you one point. I'm going to break it down just a few different ways and we'll be done. One point of application, because of the gospel, we have no right to build walls again. What Jesus has torn down needs to remain torn down. Some of you sitting in this room, I hope not, but some of you may have racial hang-ups. You better deal with that. You better get over it. Every tribe, nation, tongue is going to be represented, is represented in the kingdom of God. You better learn to love one another now or eternity might be miserable for you. Actually, eternity might be really miserable for you. If you can't learn to love the people of God, then maybe God's not in you. First John teaches us that. Think about that. Some of you may feel superior. This is a, this is a struggle I think we've dealt with in our church and will continue to struggle with as long as we emphasize our theological and doctrinal perspectives. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. We need to. But some of you may feel superior because of your theological and doctrinal perspectives and understanding. I don't, I don't want to rain on your parade. Actually, I do. I kind of enjoy that. Not really. But a deeper understanding of the Bible doesn't make you better. But instead, it should point out of your greater debt. It should point out your greater need. It should point out not that you are worthy, but like Paul, you ought to be able to see what a wretched person you are. And Paul didn't come to that realization at the beginning of his ministry when Jesus knocked him off the horse. Towards the end of his ministry as he's writing Romans, what does he say? What a wretched man I am. 
You think you know theology and doctrine like Paul knows theology and doctrine? He probably has us all beat. That guy got to write scripture. Hope I just rained on your parade. You have a greater debt. Maybe not a greater debt, but you should be able to see it more clearly. Some of you in this room may feel more worthy because of your moral code. Your morals apart from the gospel will lead you to the same place immorality will. Death and destruction. Don't count on that. Don't depend on that. Don't, don't look around this room, especially in a church this size, and think, can't believe that person spanks their kid. That's terrible. Don't look around the room and think, I can't believe that person doesn't spank their kid. That's terrible. Don't, don't sit here thinking, oh, that person's pretty immature spiritually. I don't, I don't, really, I don't need to have anything to do with them. Don't, don't sit here thinking, oh, well... That person over there, you know, that person, all they care about is knowledge. We don't need knowledge. We need more passion. We need more heart. We need both. Let me tell you, we need both. You both have a place in the kingdom. Quit thinking down on one another. Quit thinking that you're better than somebody else because your own selfish perspective makes you feel that way. You are standing in grace in a place that's been bought for you. Jesus bought your ticket to be here. Some of you may be hiding, like the, like the Jews. You know, the Jews, if you read their history and, and look at why Jesus chose them or why God chose them, they were intended to be a people through whom God would bless the nations, by whom His grace would become known to the world. They were to be a light on a hill, a city on a hill, light in the darkness. And yet they decided... Instead of, of doling out God's grace, they hid it and hoarded it. Some of you may be hiding and hoarding God's grace. Maybe because you think others are unworthy. I think we've dealt with that enough. You don't even deserve to be here. Don't hold it back from somebody else. And that's that by itself is a depressing thought. What does it say about a person who receives grace and yet doesn't turn around to share it with somebody else? God is not going to run out. There's more than enough to go around. Maybe you're hiding and hoarding God's grace because you're afraid. Because of the gospel, we aren't going to be. This isn't some future tense perspective. Because of the gospel, we are. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because of the gospel, you have already been accepted. You have already been approved. His power is already washing over you. His grace has already been lavished on you. Because of the gospel, you can't lose what you've been given. Fear has no place here. His love should prove that. And if you ever doubt it, just remember the cross. Because on the cross, we were bought, we were paid for. It was finished. So, let me just ask you. Are you going to live as a me? 
or we. This is our responsibility now. Jesus has done the work. Now we're expected to walk in it. There's a book that we use, part of our vision and, and church training and it's leadership training. It's called Total Church. And I know a lot of you struggled with it as we read through it because you thought, oh, this is a church planting book. No, this is a book that teaches you how to live inside the body of Christ. It's a whole new perspective for many of you. Well, they've got an idea, you know. As we live as me's, what we do is we tend to act as if the church is something to be juggled with all the other things we've got going. But this teaches us that that's missing the point altogether. You see, the reality is, is that now the church together, we are going to be together forever. And we're to face the world in that way. We are united in Christ because of the gospel we are. And now together we face the world. Certainly there's times that you go to work and, and we're scattered. But together we support, we strengthen, we serve, we love, we share God's grace. You know what happens when that happens? We become tangible examples of what Jesus did for us, His bride. So that the world, a lost world, can experience, as close as possible, experience the grace of God. Are you going to live as a me or a we? Because of the gospel, we are. Apart from the gospel, you can exist all on your own. It's your choice. Let's pray. Dear Father, you're good and you're gracious. And, and I know that it's difficult to hear the words over and over that we are not deserving. I know that that's difficult. I know that sometimes that rubs us the wrong way, but, but God, we need it. We forget it. Would you just rest in us now, God, with your spirit? Would you just rest this truth on us that we might recognize the breadth and depth and length and height of your love, that we might be able to just define or more clearly understand or feel the 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 lavish the, the lavished grace the the grace that you've just poured out on us abundantly now would you help us to see it recognize who we were apart from you that we might now fully more fully recognize who we are in you jesus thank you for your sacrifice your broken body your shed blood that we might stand in the presence of our heavenly father Jesus, thank you for the peace that you've worked out, the reconciliation that you've worked out between us and our Father and one another. That we might now walk together as we face a very difficult, treacherous, dangerous world. That we might be the light shining in the darkness, the city on a hill. Your people, your bride, exhibiting your great grace. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name.